Welcome to episode 11 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. My name is Matt, and joining me on today's cast are my wonderful co-host, Tiff. Hey. And Dan. What up? <laughs> so before we dive into the show, just a quick reminder of where you can reach out to us. We're on Facebook and Twitter at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. And you can chat more about our discussion topics over at our BGG Guild, number 2077. Also, if you're looking to lend a hand with the cast, reviews on iTunes, and hearts on board game links always are appreciated. Alright, so now on to the goods for the show. Today we have some news to cover, we've rounded up a few interesting Kickstarter projects to spotlight, and then we're going to embrace the holiday spirit and do a holiday buying guide. But first, let's talk a little bit about what we've been playing. So Dan, what have you been getting to the tabletop? Everything. Everything. Played a lot of games recently, um, which has been good. Uh, the first one I think I'll I'll bring up is Medina. This is, for some, a grail game of sorts. Uh, it's a Stefan Dora. I believe it was originally released in 2000, 2001, something like that. Uh, but White Goblin Games and their uh, partner Stronghold have brought it back to the U.S. in a new form. Uh, upgraded packaging as well as, I think, some components and some rule tweaks. For those who haven't played this, Medina is a... It's a it's literally a city building game um, in all senses of the meaning. In a very literal way. Yes. Yeah, very very literally a city building game. Um, you have pieces, little wooden pieces, and you will be taking turns placing. It's very simple mechanically. You take two of your pieces and you place them in the city. Um, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to score points by building palaces and markets, and then also the building the uh, the Medina walls around the city as well. And all these things kind of mesh together to create the scoring system. And there's a little take that, um, so to speak. And there's some, you know, just uh, maneuvering, strategic maneuvering and tactical placement of the pieces. But all in all, like I said before, it's a real, real simple game. It's place two pieces, pass your turn. And you go until everyone's placed all their pieces. Um, Have you had a chance to play this, Tiff? No, I haven't. It was pretty cool. I liked it. Um... I don't know. It's not really a filler game because it takes a little bit too long. Not in a bad way, but like it's too long for for filler category. But it's really easy, so it's got a like a filler feel just because it's so easy to play and, and explain. I don't know. Yeah, once you once you get the pieces, kind of once you understand the pieces. So reading the rule books a little bit, I don't want to say confusing, but it's just one of those games where you grasp it as soon as you start to see the board evolve. Um, it reminded me of a an auction game in a way because you score. You score pieces based off of the number, you know, so if you have six buildings in your palace, six little building pieces, it's a six-point palace. But, you know, based on the amount of players, the, the number of pieces available in the game to build palaces are limited. So I, I say it's like an auction game in that way that you don't really know the first player to what's a good size um, palace and when you want to jump on these. Because in order to, to score the points, you have to claim these palaces and once you've claimed, for instance, the Purple Palace, you can no longer claim Purple Palaces for the rest of the game. So, like I said, is six, is that good? Is that bad? Should it been, you know, should you jump on it when it, there's only four buildings in it? So 
it took a little bit of um, kind of feeling out. I know we played the first game. Matt jumped on this gray uh, six-piece palace, and that was like the biggest palace we saw for the rest of the game. And we were just like, oh, I guess that was really good. So yeah. one of those things, you just you had to feel it out. But it's really easy. I really liked it. Yeah, and as we played, we kind of got used to a little bit of the more strategic elements. Like Dan said, we were trying to feel out the game when we first started playing, and it was like, well, where do I build? What do I build? And when do I finally like take over a palace? Um, but then, as we like towards the end of the game, um, the concept is that you can only have one. As long as you can build legally onto a certain color, you can only have one palace of that color. So if I have an orange palace, I can't make a new orange palace until that is at its maximum size due to like legal movements. Um, so we started really creatively placing palaces to kind of screw people over or you know do a little take that or do a little bit more strategic maneuvering to help our own cases. Um, but, and that took about halfway through the game until we really realized like, oh, there's, there's a little bit of depth in kind of where I put things and, and you know what I put next to it and how I build things. Um, so it, the game actually came down to like a really a really clever kind of move that forced somebody into another move kind of thing. So, but when we first started playing, it was just kind of like, oh, it's, we're, you know, we're playing Lincoln Logs kind of thing, or we're just putting pieces next to each other. But there is some some cool strategic um, elements with the spatial reasoning and, like, where to place your thing. So it was a cool game. I liked it. Yeah. And the end result looks so cool. Like, you did, like, a time lapse of the game from, like, the opening board where it's just the well and then seeing it at the end of the game where it's all the different buildings and colors, and it's, it's really cool to see, you know, from a physical standpoint. Yeah. But now, Tiff, you haven't gotten to play this game, so how about we chat about something that you've gotten to the table recently? Well, I haven't gotten too much to the table recently, but uh, I've been playing more La Isla, which I like a lot and I've talked about before. And I don't think I've really been playing anything new, so you guys just go on with it. Well, I got my first play of La Isla in, actually. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I feel about it. What? Yeah. Can you, I mean, are you surprised, really? Like, of course I had to be the point of contention here, because I know <laughs> you and Dan love it. Um, and if I have to hear Dan say, oh, a light felled, one more time, I swear. <laughs> no, dude, Lisa is definitely a light felled. No, it is, but it's just... <laughs> no, I, I don't know. It, I've only got one play in it, so this is just a first impression, but I really felt... I guess I just struggled against, I, I just struggled with the game. I don't know. I just, I had trouble kind of wrapping my head around where to go and, you know, what strategy to go with. And I ended up just not being able to complete sets of animals. And they were really powerful. And Dan warned me ahead of time. He said, you know, sets for 10 points apiece are important to note. But I just wasn't able to get there because what happened is we had three players. And essentially for the first, I don't know, 20 minutes of the game, we matched each other move for move. We did the exact same thing in our little corners of the board, and then when it came time to where we started running into each other, um, Mike and I ran into each other and started competing, and Dan had a little bit more room to maneuver and got, got some more freebies, basically. He didn't run into contention as much as we did as early, so that was I didn't like that. I don't know. Yeah, but you could have moved over and done some more blocking, right? See, and I probably could have, and I don't know, but when it when I looked at the board state as it sat, it seemed like I needed to just gather up as much as I could as soon as I could. Like, I wanted to get points and start getting that engine going, or not really engine, but I wanted to, to start gathering those um, the animal tokens and things like that, and I felt like I would be taking myself out of the game to to be the one who has to block, and that's kind of a... Sometimes that's like a three-player game thing. Is like that one person sometimes has to be the guy to be like, all right, I'm going to suck it up and go over here and try to stop the leader. But 
we didn't do that. So Dan kind of ran away with it a little. Although it, I think it ended up closer than I thought it was going to be. It's within like 10 points between me and Mike. Yeah. I'll say the, the last two games I played, I played a two-player game and I played a three-player game. And the people that didn't collect sets were still pretty close. So yeah. I, while collecting sets is important, it's still possible to win that way. I yeah. have won that way. So The thing that set me apart in the game that Matt's speaking about was I collected two sets. So yeah. um, that 20 points right there was huge for me. Yeah, that's outrageous. Like I said, I only won. I think I only won by like 10, 12 points. So it was pretty much the difference. Yeah, and I didn't play to my strengths that well. Like I didn't use the, the influence tracks or whatever you want to call them oh. as efficiently as I could. Because like the animals that I ended up having the most with, I didn't put enough attention into. So definitely some problems on my part. I still can't say that I'm like super excited about it, but I'd play it again a couple more times to try to get better at it. But it just didn't win me over. I thought the board was way too busy. It's hideous. It's it's, it's miserable looking. (laughs) That dark green is like the worst choice I think they could have used for the board background. It just makes everything hurt, you know, from your eyes' point of view. But you know, to 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 Matt's defense too, he also was was a victim of some bad card draw. And one of my favorite things about the game is, you know, getting those three cards that you get every turn and then figuring out how to utilize them most efficiently. For me, that's, I love that. And that's one of those things. But I can see that if you do get some really, you know, poor draws that don't really affect you as far as the animals you've collected for, you know, the voting piece or, you know, the resources you're looking to collect, some things like that. But I think that's what makes it a felt and what makes it interesting is because you're constantly having to do the best with what you've got. Yeah, no, and I, I like that part of the game. But I could see some people, and I'm not saying this is Matt specifically, but I see some people having issue with that and maybe getting a little bit frustrated by it. It's just it's one of those things. But it's definitely, if you're a Feld fan, I think you expect to get frustrated at some point. Well, that's <laughs> that's true. Um, and his game, like, I don't think I've ever played a Feld game that I've gotten on the first game and been like, no. I get it. I think it just, it takes a couple plays for me at least. And my first game was with Tiff, and Tiff won. She beat me by like two points that yeah. game. But I remember Eric Handler was like 40 points behind us. And <laughs> things like, like, it just, it clicked for me, but it didn't click until late. And I think once it clicks, it's it, you'll see kind of. It. I also got too excited about having cheaper, like I, I was too excited about being able to play cheaply. Because I got the ones that yeah. let you spend one less cube. And I was like, this is an awesome ability. But then I had three of those. And I was like, I don't need three of these. I really should maximize. I don't know. I learned a lot. It wasn't my favorite, but I played again. Maybe it'll end up being cool. And we also um, we also only played on the intro. Yeah, mode. we only played easy mode. There's The cards are divided into ones and twos. The twos give you a little bit more advanced uh, actions to take. So I'm looking forward to trying out two. Because the games I've played have only been on level one. Yeah, Yeah, you could definitely take those cards right out and start with them from the beginning. I've been playing with them now for a while, and I don't... I mean, I guess I can see a little bit, like, if you're trying to use this as a step-up game, why it might not be great to use those more advanced cards. But they're not overly complicated, and you're using the player aids either way. So, I don't know. Sure. Yeah, I think with this game specifically, I wanted to... We had our brother Mike, who breaking him into euro games while he grasps them and is very good at them it takes a little bit of coaxing i think and i'm i didn't want to put too much into it to yeah i think it was a smart choice for who we were playing with but i'm sure we could handle them no i really i, I like it and I've, I've said before and people give me crap for it i'm not the biggest feld fan but i really liked this one well i well we played 
a couple games that night, um, and I just want to get like really quick opinion on what did you think of Battle Lore? Because we got in a game of Battle Lore with you and me. It was like the exact opposite of Laisa. Um, I just didn't know how you felt about it. Uh, Battle Lore was it was all right. I played Memoir Forty Four, so the Command and Color system um, is something that for me it's like a love or a hate. Uh, what irks me the most is just the card draw, which kind of determines how your units are. Um, moving and then the dice rolling that's what i think really irks me about the whole system it's just there's there's specific sides that i bet battle or specific you know if you got a distance guy an archer for instance there's only one symbol on that die that an archer can hit with so it's a one in six chance on that die that you're hitting with you're only rolling two dice so the, the probabilities are low to begin with and it just you know repeatedly i don't think we, yeah, we, we i don't think was... our archers hit Either of our archers hit for about maybe the first 40 minutes of the game (laughs) until finally we landed a hit. And it's just, that kind of frustrates me. I can get over the card draw and working with that because that's where you get the tactical elements, which I like um, with that system. But the, the dice rolling is what kills me. I can't. I can't stand that sometimes. Yeah, I really like Battalore, and I like that kind of system, and I do like dice rolling. But even, like, that game, I was feeling it really bad, like man this is like we're just we're whiffing every turn and like we could do some tactical positioning and like luckily we had some special abilities but um i don't know i was a little disappointed with with how the dice went and i feel like hopefully that's like a one out of every hundred games kind of thing we'll see as i play some more but yeah i was i was interested to to see how you felt about that so i mean i expected it going in so i was kind of I had that buffer, so yeah. to speak, that I was kind of ready for. Yeah. But I could see it frustrating a new person. Yeah. Um, especially because you've got that mindset of this is a tactical kind of war game, but then there's all this mm. dice rolling. and Yeah. So, and I know most war games have dice rolling, but this one just seems to be, in all of them, memoir, battle, or it just seems to frustrate me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so let's switch gears and let's talk about a few fillers. So, Tiff, you may not have been playing these recently but i know you've you've played both red seven and a bluxen or linko as we call it here with the american version um what do you think about red seven i finally got to play it so um i like red seven it's really hard with the advanced rules i don't know which version you guys have been playing we did um just the basic rules and then i think we bumped it up to we played with the two optional rules we didn't play with the the odd number uh symbols that, that are on the cards, oh, that have okay. the actions. Um, but we played with the advanced rule, the two advanced rules of Good when you draw. play a card to the middle, to the canvas, and it's higher than the yeah, cards you, you have in your palette, you get to draw a card. And we play with something else. Tiff, you talked about this at nauseum in one of our episodes. Yeah, we've talked at about nauseum, it at 74. Huh? I'm just, now I'm ready to talk about gameplay. Yeah. No, that's cool, because so. yeah, you hadn't played it at the time. Yeah. So Red 7, it's actually quite popular, I saw from BGGCon. Everyone on Twitter seemed to be playing Red 7, so I guess it was there in, in full force for sale and stuff. Um, it's the new Carl Chuddock game. Uh, some termed it, it's Chuddock Flux. Um, <laughs> because what you're trying to do is you're trying to, at the end of your turn, not be losing the game. And by that, I mean there's a rule in the center of the table. The cards are all of the different colors of the rainbow so the seven colors of the rainbow is that right seven yeah yeah i don't know roy g, roy g. Biv. seven seven colors of the rainbow and then they're numbered one through seven as well and so each one of the colors has a different rule associated so red is the highest card 
I don't know, some of the other ones are like most even cards or most cards of the same number. So these rules are played into the middle, and at the you know end of your turn, you have to be winning that rule around the table. So you know there are turns in which you could you know not be able to play the rule, and then you're out uh, for that round. So it, it, some games can go really quick, some games can kind of drag out a little bit, you know, to ten minutes or so. But um, there's different advanced versions, etc. So that's just the brief rundown. Um, I like it. It's fun. It's it's still a filler game, but you know you put your thinking hat on for it. Um, it can be frustrated when you know, like I said, you could go out the first turn if you don't have a good hand. It's just the way it's dealt. But there's enough variety and you know optional rules and etc. that it's it's a yeah. good time. So Tiff, how are the advanced rules? You don't have to tell me like I know what they are, but just like how do they play? How are you are you having fun with them? Are they better? Is it better a game that way? I don't know. I, I've only played it that way once, and it was probably enough. Like, in the game, you're already sitting there, and you're thinking for a long time kind of a thing, and I think it just extends that sort of analysis period. So if you're going to be playing with people that can't tolerate just people staring at cards for a few minutes, that it's probably not a good choice to put that in there. It just makes it a lot more thinky, and it already is kind of thinky on its own. Um, the same kind of things happen, but I think... Like I said, I've only done it once, but it felt... Or maybe, yeah, twice. I guess I've played it that way twice. And both times, people went out really early. And I don't know if that's just the game in general, or just felt like it made it more impossible. I don't know. I don't think that I like playing it as much with that extra actions thing added in. I mean, that's good to know, and I think we'll we'll end up trying it that way. But I liked it how it sits. Um, It's definitely interesting, and I, I think I like it in concept more than I like it in play. But that's just from like one or two games. Um, I I think that it's a really awesome game, but when I play it, it's almost I think it's too thinky, or maybe I just had the wrong expectations when I sat down to play it because I like thinking about it. But it just seems like it goes slower than I I want it to. I I want it to go a little bit quicker. We've been playing a lot of filler games lately because Dan got a big his big international filler order, um, and we've been playing a lot of really fun, really quick games. Um, with like simultaneous play and trick taking and all kinds of different stuff. And this one, while it stands out in my mind, is probably one of the most unique. It also like I'm I'm still kind of iffy on whether or not I want to break this one out. We were talking yesterday about, you know, what games do we want to play? We had some family over and we were just looking for some light stuff and I wasn't willing to be like, let's play Red Seven. I wanted to play it, but it I don't think it would have been as friendly. I didn't really feel like teaching it and having to like sit through people working out the game i don't know that's just kind of where i sit with it i want to play it more but yeah i don't know i'm still kind of up in the air about it what, what do you know a charl a carl shattuck where you stare at your cards no way yeah We've never well, seen that coming well and even to, <laughs> to put it in like contrast like we played a bluxen yesterday or or linko um whichever one you want to call it in that game was quick. It was easy. You explained it really quickly. Um, you, you explained it just as quickly as Red Seven, but that game just moved and it was fun and it still had me thinking. But it was super approachable for Kel and, and Mom, who aren't as heavy of gamers. And I just don't think that Red Seven would have fit in there, even though this is still a filler game. Yeah, I taught Red Seven to my middle schoolers with the basic rules, and some of them liked it. So it kind of just, I don't know, it depends on the audience and the individuals, but yeah, it's not but- too thinky to teach to lesser experienced players no I, I felt that the basic just the the basic rules i thought it was kind of boring actually we went through that and it was quick and we were done and i was like kind of want a little more and that's when we added in some of the maybe that's the optional it rules it's like i didn't like it at its base form yeah i Go think ahead. it can be introduced to 
non-gamers in its base form, but I think that form is its wears out its welcome yeah. quickly for me, just because I'm looking for a little bit more. I, it's like I feel like Goldilocks. I just don't know how to get Red Seven to be just right. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. I don't know how to go All right. Either. Who else pictured me in a dress? <laughs> pictured nope. you're wearing one right now. Well, oh. that's not helpful because this is radio and people are going to believe that. Dang it. They should. I'm not wearing pants. I look damn good. That's all that matters. Wait, aren't you guys in the same room? One of you is wearing a dress and the other is not wearing pants. Well, technically, neither of us are wearing pants if one of us is wearing a dress. Yeah, I guess that's... Well, you could be wearing pants underneath. There's this thing called the no-judge zone, Tiff, and we're in that right now. Yeah. It's also the no-pants zone. I'm never in the no-judge zone. (laughs) (laughs) We played... We we didn't play test this, the, the Legacies version. I don't know if you've ever played that, Tiff. It's just that random cards where you just throw it down it's like you saw a cat you lose or something like that yes but i that sounds I terrible card, it, it's pretty crap it really is but it's funny it's hilarious it's hilarious and this one's actually a little bit cooler because it's like it's like the legacy format where you're writing on the cards and then when you play it the next time it, it takes into account what you've written things like that Ugh. so it's kind of it's like a mad libs kind of card game in a way it's kind of cool but i had this <laughs> i had this card called the pants dimension and it said, right now everyone is in the pants dimension. So And everybody not where uh everybody wearing pants is in the pants dimension. Yeah. Everybody not wearing pants is in the no pants dimension. And it says, at any point during the game, if you change dimensions, you lose. <laughs> everyone had to keep the pants where they were. So if at any point during the game you took your pants off, you automatically lost. Or put pants on. Or put pants on. Which you... for us was actually a card that had legitimate staying power. I mean, yeah. we were worried about it. It's, it's interesting, but, but sorry, that's just a little aside for. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the games that we played. It wasn't bad. It was kind of like a dumb Christmas gift that I got Biff last yeah, year, it was... but it pretty much was exactly what we expected. Yeah, but it was like yeah, it was a good... cards for humanity kind of silliness. I actually thought of a game that I've played that neither okay. of you have played, so I don't know if it's worth. I don't know. You know about? What is it? Cafe Melange. Crap. I have no idea what that <laughs> is. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Yeah, well, Ruth turned me on to it when I was down at the marathon, and I looked into it, and you can only buy it at, like, one store in England. So, of course, I was naturally interested in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's, exclusive. Well, the theme is that you're, like, in this cafe back in, like, nineteen early 1900s, and you're, you're trying to seat your people with these important guests that go to the cafe, but they all have um, different preferences on where they want to sit, like the size of table or the color of table or the color of chairs that they want to sit at. So you're trying to like kind of plan out what kind of tables and chairs you're going to have your people sit at and stuff. I think I fell asleep. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 I'm teasing. It sounds, was it fun? Is this the sequel to Elevensies? Do you like sit up and try and capture teaspoons? You could play. You could have a very thematic game night if you played both of those. Yes, I think so. You sit down at the table and then you play Elevensies. It sounds like that app that I used to have on my iPad. It was the guy's bathroom app, and you had to pick in the various situations the best urinal to go pee at. It was. This is a much fancier version of that. <laughs> this is classy version. Of this one sounds classier. You're you're playing your game in the bathroom of Cafe Milan. <laughs> Moral of this story is, is you always pick the one at the end. Game over. Anyway, sorry. Well, Tiff, and guy code is that you never take a stall in between two people. You don't go to the urinal. You, there needs to be a gap there. Yeah. Are there similar rules in Cafe Milan? <laughs> 
No, it's all about color and size and shape of table kind of a thing. No, so the bathroom is kind of about the same thing. The color and size and shape of your urinal. <laughs> size matters too. Don't let them tell you otherwise. I'm feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Then we succeeded. Good job, guys. No, I don't know. It, it's seemingly simple on its face where you just you, you play one to three cards that either do an action or they reserve different types of tables or chairs. Or you can draw three new cards, like sort of ticket to ride style. And then you play those cards. You're reserving different things. There are guests, the fancy schmancy guys. So there's like Gustav Mahler and, you know, people that were well-known back then, um, Sigmund Freud, you can put reservation cards. You can say, okay, Gustav Mahler, he wants to sit in an orange chair. And if you put a set of three, then he'll sit in that one spot that has all three requirements. But you might not want to do that because you're trying to also get your people sitting at different tables and you get points for that, like for them sitting next to certain people. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Is it good? <laughs> Simply put, do we care about this game? I sounds, like it a lot. Sounds interesting. I, 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 you know, I love quirky themes, and this is about as quirky as I can find right now. So definitely different. It's different, and I really love like early 1900s type history. So it appeals to me in that way. There's just a lot that goes into why I like the game. It sounds like wedding planning the game. Like, where you're just trying to figure out where to put your relatives, <laughs> where to put your friends. It's kind you know, of like that. It's... You'll get bonus points if this friend doesn't drink too much because he's sitting next to your grandmother. You know, things yep. like that. <laughs> Don't put Aunt Gina next to Grandma. I think that sounds like a uh, even better game. Let's maybe... Yeah, wait, we need to cut this before the theme <laughs> leaks out. Someone's going to do that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are just there are different bonus scores that give you different points for certain people. Like, if there's one personality sitting on a purple chair, you get a point. Or if they're at a square table, you get a point. So you can have cards like that, and then you have some bonus action cards that let you do extra things. And I don't know, I just, I think it's really interesting, and I'm glad I bought it. I hope to, I've only played it one time, and we were trying to figure out the rules while we were playing it. I, I thought it was a good, fun game. It wasn't too long, might have taken an hour. Is it pretty? I don't know if it's in your tastes. Okay. That was a no. <laughs> That's a no. Well, no, I mean, it's... I like it. I think it looks good. It's just, you don't like muted colors, and it has muted colors. Depends on what muted colors we're talking. Well, that was a lot of what we've been playing, actually. Well, a lot of what me and Dan have been playing in some weird game that Tiff has been playing. But, you know, you get the idea. Um, so we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to jump into some of the news stories and some of the Kickstarter projects that we want to we wanna highlight. All right, so come on back. All right, so let's go ahead and get into some news. We've got Dan, our resident news expert, and he's got some projects and some stories to talk about. Um, yeah, there's been a lot going on recently. Um which has been nice because with BGG Con and stuff, you know, I thought it was going to be kind of a lull. But, uh, you know, there's a few things for us to stay busy with since we didn't get to go. Uh, the first big thing, if you've been living under a rock, uh, was that Asmodee uh, merged with Fantasy Flight. So this is Asmodee's second big merger um, in the last three months. They merged with uh, Days of Wonder, Wonder sorry. Uh, back in, I guess, August that was? August, September, something like that. And now they've come and gobbled up Fantasy Flight, which is pretty big news. It's great to see the French embracing capitalism. Um, I know that's something they're not huge with. 
Uh, <laughs> where are you going? What with is this? happening right now? <laughs> I was just stuck on how many of our listeners that live under rocks that you alienated. Well, apologies if you live under a rock. It's got to be damp. But <laughs> you, probably <laughs> you probably won't store your. You probably don't have a board game collection if you live under a rock because they're going to get all moldy. They're very warped and warped and wet. So my apologies. So yeah. So with this merger, not much. Not much was given in the press release, uh, but W. Eric Martin over at Board Game Geek did have a quick written interview with uh, Christian T. Peterson, the CEO from Fantasy Flight. And just to spare all the details, the gist is that not much is going to change. It basically gives Asmodee an in into the United States for more kind of efficient and hopefully cheaper uh, production and you know distribution of board games. That's what they're saying now. I hope it stays the same. I'm a huge Asmodee fan. Fantasy Flight I'm up in the air with personally, but it would be nice to see if Asmodee could get their U.S. releases under $60. That'd be great. <laughs> Yeah, well, we haven't gotten to see anything from Days of Wonder since their merger, right? No. So we don't really know how that's taking effect. So maybe we'll, it, we'll get to see soon how this is affecting Days of Wonder and FFG, yeah. basically. I don't think it's going to be big. I don't think it's going to be... I, I don't want to say big. I don't, think it's gonna be, I don't think it's going to be so noticeable to the consumer. Yeah. I think it's more of a back-end, like I said, distribution channel, kind of some you know business efficiencies, things like that. I think that's... And it's great because it's given Asmodee a real strong foothold and they're a solid company, which I love to see them grow. And it's, they're going to be competing with some of the big boys like Hasbro and some of those before long. I'm, I'm partial. I do love the good, you know, the indie feel of our hobby. So there's, you know, indie publishers and it's good to see there's a bunch of them still around. But, you know, if anyone's going to grow, I'm happy to see it's Asmodee because I really, really like what they put out. Yeah. And they're affiliated with Antoine Bowser. <laughs> and i love that and movie. that's really what matters that's is how many movie. antoine bowser games yes. will be coming to the u.s cheaper yeah. bowser needs to start filling out that restraining order paperwork right away dan got one in the mail but it was in french so he just tossed it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's it's stay lay away <laughs> <laughs> please if we have a single listener who knows anything about french let us know that was not what a... restraining order is in french <laughs> Le restrain, le order, day. How about we talk uh, about another big company? Let's talk about Plat Hat. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, uh, let's stick with FFG real quick before I move on to Plat Hat. Okay. Um, Fantasy Flight also announced, I guess the same week as this merger, was that they were going to be releasing a Descent 2.0 campaign book. Oh, things are changing already. Which is day stuff. Which is called Heirs of Blood. And I know we've talked before at Nauseam about how you guys both own Descent and we're kind of bitter that they're releasing the re-theme of Imperial Assault and that your Descent, so I don't know, maybe you guys can shed more light on how you feel about this, but it seems like it's going to breathe a little bit more life into you know the Descent realm. Uh, I think it's going to offer 32 new encounters to play, and that's going to be divided into two acts within this, what they're calling a climactic campaign so to speak uh, i won't get into the history and all that stuff you can check it out um, either on our website or on fantasy flights but yeah i think it's it's going to add something fresh for those that have maybe outplayed their copy or you know it, they're looking for something new yeah i think that that's the coolest part about this is that one it gives new life like you said to descent if you've played through it to be fair i actually haven't played through the whole campaign ben and i are like on one of the last missions um he's kicking my butt as the overlord 
But I like this idea of like, I don't have to buy a whole new game. I can just buy this book and get way more um, out of, you know, a $60 game that I've already bought. It also, I like it because this might mean that it'll continue to get supported even though Imperial Assault's coming out. So this is coming out right before the launch of Imperial Assault. And it's it's saying, hey, you know, we still care about Descent. It's not all going to be Star Wars and lightsabers and things like that. So I appreciate that. Maybe, you know, I can hold on to my copy of Descent and be excited about some stuff. So that's going to come out in the first quarter of 2015. But as we know with FFG, it could be here tomorrow. So any interest in that, Tiff? I have Descent currently on my trade list. I just, I can't keep up with it. And I can't find the right people to play it right now. So that's not changing anything for me. Sorry, Descent. That's cool. It's okay. <laughs> That's what Descent would sound like? Yes. Descent yeah. <laughs> sounds smaller than I thought. Descent, Descent, is... Descent sounds like David Beckham, the world's <laughs> sexiest man. Sounds like one of the uh, small people from Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's a small world after all. <laughs> I like to play soccer, and my hair is really nice. <laughs> so is my underwear. Wow. Anyways, we got off on a tangent there. I digress. Dan's feeling for David Beckham aside. Let's yes. talk now. Can we talk about Plaid Hat? Yeah, we can talk about Plaid right, Hat. So Plaid Hat announced uh, right before BGG Con that they would have a demo of their new game, which is going to be in coordination with uh, Nazca Games. So this is designed by Emerson Matsuchi, uh, the guy who did Volt, which we've reviewed and love. And this is going to be called Spectre Ops. So this is a, I guess this would be like an asynchronous hidden movement game Mm -hmm. where one player will take on the role of what they're calling the ARC secret agent. Um, This guy has infiltrated a top secret facility and he's attempting to complete, I think he has to complete a couple of missions uh, and get out alive basically is what that player is trying to do. On the other hand, he's being hunted by these uh they're called raxon hunters so these are these genetically modified beasts so to speak that are going to be chasing down this secret agent and trying to deter him from completing his mission so this is something along the lines of letters to Whitechapel, scotland yard, scotland yard yeah. um, things like that so exciting which I, I really i'm really looking forward to this because like i said i'm a big fan of volt and a couple of the other stuff that you know nazca is coming out with and this one is going to be Plaid Hat produced. So it's going to be amazing production. Uh, some of the pictures I saw from BGGCon looked really nice. People were giving it all kinds of good buzz. So this one's slated for 2015 release. Uh, I don't think much more is known as far as the specifics. But like I said, they had a full-blown demo copy, a prototype yeah. demo copy. So it's, it's, it's making its way, I know. If Plaid Hat has their... If they're like they're doing the production and they're really good about giving updates and keeping kind of their people, um, their fans posted. So like their website's a good way to go. Um, their podcast, Nazca Games, is pretty good about keeping up with these things. Um, so if you're interested in more, that's probably the avenues. Or you can also check in with us because we're fans of both Nazca and Plat Hat. So those are kind of go-to uh, companies that we're keeping up to date with. So it's gonna be cool. I'm so excited. I'm so pumped. Do you see this, Tiff? Well, I just pulled up the Board Game Geek page, and there's nothing on it. Like, nothing. It's like the yeah, most sparse just, page ever. They literally just announced, like, I think it was, like, three days before BGGCon that they were going to be doing this. I believe this game was originally called Cypher Ops. I think this was the original Nazca title. And then they kind of got into talks with Plaid Hat or something along those lines. And so now it's being re-released under this re-theme, Spectre Ops. So maybe check that page if you want a little bit more detail. But they literally just announced it like two or three days before BGGCon saying yeah. that they were going to have demo copy there 
and that that's pretty much all we know right now. Yeah, I, I get the plaid hat. Like I'm on the email list, so I didn't really read into it because it just I don't know. You don't do hidden movement. I I have a couple of games that have that. I don't know. It must be the theme. I don't know what it is. Sorry. No, that's cool. <laughs> I am. We're gonna have so much fun. Yeah. I'll play it when it comes out. I love plaid hat games. I mean, they they've done some really good stuff. So it'll be interesting. I just want more info. I think we all do. So, in other new releases, uh, we'll just touch briefly. Uh, Imperial Settlers, the Civ building card game from Portal Games and Ignacy Trevicek. It has a new expansion uh, called Why Can't We Be Friends? <laughs> so, um, he's a funny guy, and it's it's always kind of come out in a lot of his games and some of the Easter eggs he puts in them and things like that. But this expansion pack... Sorry to say for those who wanted it, but it does not have a new faction, but it does have a new ability, and this is going to be open production. So I believe fans of 51st State slash New Era will be familiar with this, but open production is going to give players the ability to visit their opponent's buildings and use them, paying the cost of a worker, which then that player gets for their uh, supply. It's also going to give some additional new cards for each of the base games for factions, as well as some new common cards and some new solo play stuff. So a lot in that little box. I think it's 55 cards in total. And I, I believe he just recently said that it will hit Europe in December and it should hit the U.S. shores in January. Nice. So stay that tuned to cool. that. Yeah, it is. I, I love Imperial Settlers. It's probably one of my top games from 2014. Um, one of the things that I didn't like about it, I feel like I'm being overly negative this episode here, but one of the things that I wasn't, a big fan of was the fact that I couldn't interact as much as I wanted to. So I think I like how open production sounds. That sounds cool. Mm-hmm. I want to use those Egyptian buildings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't raise them. Well, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, so that's that. And then two other quick things, unless you guys have some more to add. BGG, uh, Board Game Geek, just announced uh, following immediately following BGG Con, which was when this is being recorded. This was last week. So they announced that they will be doing a second BGG Con, and this one's going to be called BGG Fam, and this will be taking place actually coming up soon. It'll be in May over uh, Memorial Day weekend, and this is going to be an all-ages convention. So at same thing, Dallas-Fort Worth, same hotel, um, but this one's going to be more family and kid-friendly. So if you have interest in this, head over on Board Game Geek. Uh, they're not taking badge registrations yet, but they are doing hotel registrations, the Hyatt. So if that's something that interests you, cool. I'm going to still pencil in the adult, I guess is what this the November one is. Cause X-rated BGG con. Yeah, as much as I love kids' games and stuff, I don't know if I could be around a entire convention. of. You can play a <laughs> lot of Rhino Hero. Yeah, a lot of Rhino Hero. And then the final thing I had was Tabletop Season 3. We talked about this before, uh, but it officially launched with the first game, Takedo. And uh, as predicted, and I didn't really notice until it was too late, uh, Takedo has flown off shelves and is now, I don't know if it's considered I, to be out of print. I but think there's, it's sold out everywhere. There's copies of it going for $60, $70, $80 on BGG and on eBay. And I actually traded mine after the release of it. I uh, traded it for K2, which I'm excited about, um, because I have the Takedo Collector's Edition coming. So I was just trying to get rid of it. Um, and to be fair, if you're listening, don't pay that price. No. It'll be back. They're doing a print run. Yeah. It'll be cheaper. Uh, you know, you guys know as big of an Antoine Bowser fan as I am, that's probably his... It, it, depending on the audience, 
it's not the most in, uh, intriguing game. That's my word, intriguing. Um, it's very light. It's very casual. It's not worth it. It's not worth eighty bucks. Unless you're buying my copy, which will be up soon. Tiff will sign it personally. <laughs> Considering my collector's edition only costs like a hundred bucks, I would never pay eighty for the base yeah. game. Well, did you guys? <laughs> any of you watch the episode? I've not watched the episode. I'm, I'll openly admit that I'm not a huge tabletop fan. No. Tiff, did you watch the episode? Nope. Okay, I did not either. So uh, we'll have to take a look at it. I, I will watch it in due time. I'm not like devout, like waiting for it to release but i'll definitely give it a look yeah, um, i'll I be interested them. to see how clever they can edit this to make it interesting because <laughs> yeah. i don't find it that exciting of a game to watch i don't think i'm gonna sit down with a bag of popcorn and watch someone play takaido no it's a game you want to play oh you got that play. t-shirt oh that hot bath was so good <laughs> nice play <laughs> <laughs> i'm but, sure it'll be a very relaxing episode yes Filled with all kinds of faux Japanese music and cutaways to Will yeah. Wheaton being angry. Yeah. As he's now, how could you be angry at that game? It's just like one of those things like, oh, cool, I lost. I feel so I feel so relaxed. Cool. <laughs> I feel so relaxed now that I, I lost. I still saw so many things. Yes. It was beautiful. Let's all meditate and do yoga now. But anyway, so <laughs> um, if Takeda doesn't interest you, he's also released the full episode list, as well as all the uh, pseudo celebrities that will be starring. So, cool. Check it out. And that's all I got. All right. Well, then let's flip it over to our our resident podcast Kickstarter expert, because Smee is our Kickstarter expert on the site. Uh, but Tiff has some Kickstarter spotlights that she has uh, drummed up for us, and we can chat about them. I think we can start with the best and the brightest. You want to talk about New Bedford, Tiff? Sure. New Bedford is going to be done uh, Sunday, December 14th. They're not completely funded yet, uh, but they have plenty of time to go to get their funding goal. And I've been playing this game. I print and played it. And we talked about it a lot with Chris Kirkman on the last episode, so I won't go into the full thing. But it's basically simple worker placement building with kind of a neat whaling mechanic where you put your ships out at sea and you collect different whales and that gives you money at the end of the game and that's how you win. I really like this one a lot. I, I really hope it funds. Yep. Not my favorite game, but I still think that this game deserves to fund. I really do. Um, it's a good game from a good company, and I want to see how the final components look and everything, and I know he's got some excellent things lined up if you guys can, um, you, you funders can, or backers rather, can uh, beat the stretch goals. So. Yeah, they have um, different ships, I think it looks like. I'm looking at the... I, I auto-back this one. Anything Dice Hate Me, I pretty much just click back, and I'd already played it. But looking at the stretch goals, they've got some cool things, new buildings. Yeah. Um, Plus, are... if you scroll to the bottom of the page, you can see a lovely picture of Dan and Tiff. Oh, boom. Looking very well, excited, yeah, yet that, marathoned out. That was not <laughs> uh, run by us before you launched this Kickstarter page. So I'm like scrolling through, and I'm like, hey, who's that? I oh, that's me. Oh, hey, who's that idiot? <laughs> who's that idiot with the thumbs up? I'm glad I'm behind that idiot a little bit. Yeah. Looking a little rough that day. <laughs> After how many hours of gaming? But those thumbs up are my feelings. So <laughs> <laughs> Chris didn't include our review um, on the site, but he did include basically the summation of my review, which is two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Um, if you want to see our review, go to the website, nonsensicalgamers.com. Ooh, great plug, great plug. They're not even going to notice it's so subliminal. They're just going to want to go to the site. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, so keeping with the theme, kind of. If you were wailing in the sky. If pirates were wailing in the sky. Yes, yes. Captain's Wager is a hand management bluffing and betting game with a steampunk pirate theme. And this is coming from Gray Fox Games. The project will be over on Sunday, December 14th, and they've already met their funding goal um, a couple times over, actually. So if you go ahead and back, you're getting your game. No worries about that. Um, But in this game, basically, you are using uh, ranked cards, which are your crew from your steampunk pirate ship. And you are using these cards to bet and attempt to win encounters. And you're trying to win encounters for treasure cards. And essentially, you, like I said, are pirates, so you're trying to get the most treasure in this game. Um, So you have this deck of cards that ranges from 1 to 20. And each one of those ranked crew cards has a value, like I just said. And it also has an ability, which lets you uh, mess with things, change up the game a little bit. Um, And each round, you're going to be dealt a hand of these crew cards. And then you can either choose to bet and try to win the hand, or you can do what's called a steal, which is basically if you have a weak hand, it's a good idea to just kind of sit out. You get a a little bit of a bonus, or you take a little bit of um, gold that contributes to your final score, but you're essentially sitting out for the hand. So it's basically just hand management and card play. It's got a little bit of that betting aspect of, you know, can you evaluate your hand appropriately and see how much it's worth um, and whether or not you think you can win um, with the abilities that you have and the values that you have. But essentially, it's it's just like a really nice, clean, like it's got that war mechanic where, you know, my cards are higher than your cards, so I win the encounter kind of thing. 18 bucks gets you the game, so it's got a nice low price point. The next step up is 28 bucks, and that'll add an expansion deck in there. And like I said, it's already funded, so it's got some cool steampunky artwork. Um, it's not my favorite, but I do like the the style that they're going for with it. Um, I don't mind steampunk too much. I know that some people have some problems with steampunk, but I think it's pretty cool. There's a dragon, and there's space sh- uh, pirate ships in the sky. So I think this game looks kind of cool. It may be one that that ends up uh, that I end up backing. Tiff, what do you think about it? Does this interest you at all? It looks like kind of an advanced version of Brave Rats. That's not a that's not a bad um, way of putting it. Yeah, it's in that line with the variable player powers, but you're really just complete competing over that value, like the war mechanic. It's not anything that I haven't seen before, but it definitely is unique enough um, with its theme and with its card play, where you're competing with the other players for those encounters. Um, so that's Captain's Wager. Like I said, Sunday, December fourteenth. So you can head on over to their Kickstarter page before then if you are interested. And next on the docket is In a World of Dinosaurs. And I just discovered today that apparently Tiff loves dinosaurs. So <laughs> she's very excited for this game. Yeah, I like dinosaurs. That's a thing. Um, so In a World of Dinosaurs is one that I just kind of stumbled on. But it's what separates it from a lot of board games is that it comes with two boards. So this one, by the way, is finishing up December 8th. So if you're going to get on to this one you better do it quick um it's pretty close to being funded right now and i i have every confidence that it will be funded because it looks great and it's got some interesting stuff going on okay back to two boards so one of the boards is the dinosaurs in the past and the other is the paleontologist in the present so you're moving around the dinosaurs on the past board and the paleontologists on the present board 
So your paleontologists are trying to like get a territory and dig up dinosaurs and you're trying to get your dinosaurs to kind of die in the right places. <laughs> when they die, their fossils appear on the paleontologist side. And as the paleontologist, you're trying to collect up their fossils and assemble them and put them in your museum. And then if you get enough visitors in your museum, you win. I think it's really creative. I like it. Yeah, I haven't seen anything like it. So, and and they have and down at the bottom of their Kickstarter page, they they're, they're going to have eight different dinosaurs in the final game, but as you collect the sets, you can you can get more points by creating the real dinosaur like the Stegosaurus. If you get all three parts of the Stegosaurus, it's going to be worth more points. Whereas if you kind of mismatch the parts together to make a non-realistic dinosaur, like Tyrannosaurus, then you get less points for that. The dice look really cool. The dice, like, put together make, like, the body of a dinosaur. It's really neat looking. Yeah, they are really cool dice. I don't know what they do. I don't like the little plastic acrylic people, but that's just me. I don't want to know what they're letting that little boy walk around and pick up dinosaur bones for. It's like Jurassic Jurassic Park. Park. Except there's an extra kid. Uh, so they're going to get eaten? Yeah, who's that extra kid? <laughs> What's the goat for, Dan? <laughs> Clever girl. I think it. it looks awesome. And they have a fancy pants edition, which... I was about to say, so this game costs $150 because you're not going to buy it without the leather slip case thing. I have pledged at the, the retail game, which is the regular edition, it's $50 to get the full game. And you can also pledge a little less if you just like the dice, Dan. It's 25 bucks oh. for a full set of the dice. I don't know what you're going to do with what skeleton you, dice, but... Hey. I just sit in my room, roll dinosaurs. That's what I do. Rolling bones. Get it? Roll them bones. Yeah. They have numbers on them. You could use them as regular you, dice. You could use them as regular dice, and you just have cool uh. dice that you take around. I don't know. No, that's cool. You can that's, use them as regular old that's dice. That's cool. Some people collect dice. How many Maybe. are there? It's a lot, though. It's like 16 herbivores and 16 carnivores. 32 dice. Yes. Yeah, Wait, 32 different dice or 32 sets of dice? 32 different dice. The Fancy Pants Edition comes with a dino tablecloth, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> a tablecloth? Yeah. That'd be cool it, to play it outside. It has like a faux leather thing that makes it look like two scientific books sitting on your shelf and a wooden game piece holder and a tablecloth. So there. Do they have a plastic acrylic family piece holder? No. Then I don't want it. All right. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> Sorry to let you down. It still looks awesome. You guys should check it out. If, if there's enough time, you should get it. It does look really cool. I might have to check out the gameplay a little bit more. I might have to up my pledge to this fancy pants version. I don't know. Oh, jeez. Can you up your pledge and give me some dice? No. (laughs) You up your pledge. I just want the tablecloth. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of dinosaurs, the next Kickstarter is Artifacts, Inc., which does include searching for dinosaur fossils. This is a Kickstarter by Ryan Lockett, which I'm a huge fan of. He did City of Iron. He did Empire of the Vo- Empires of the Void. Um, I really love his art style, and all of his games are beautiful. So I checked this one out. It's got a while to go. It's done on December 15th. They have made their funding goal, so it's already funded. You know you're going to get a game if you back, and um, it's only 22 bucks. And it's kind of a dice placement game. It's you you roll some dice, and those are your the the guys in your archaeology company because that's what you're doing. You're collecting artifacts for your company, 
And they go out and they take these different actions based on the pips on the dice, and it looks really good. Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. It's a nice price point, too, for like an easy little dice placement. Well, you can tell that Ryan listens to the podcast because he has some very simple <laughs> funding or... Uh, that is the hallmark of people. All of our <laughs> listeners who have Kickstarter projects understand fully. Only three stretch goals, no more. Or not stretch goals, only three backing levels, no more. Yeah, yeah. Very so he, simple. It's very simple, and, and I don't know. I think it looks good. I backed it already. And since it's the holiday season, only $20 for an additional copy. Give it to a friend. He's got enough goodwill built up. He, <laughs> he could have minus one pledge levels and people would still bag it. He's <laughs> you have to pay me this money and yeah. you get nothing. <laughs> it's um, the negative pledge level. Now, this one looks cool. The theme intrigues me. I've, I've always thought that archaeology is an underused theme. That it really has a lot that you could, <laughs> quote, explore. Um, a lot you can dig into yeah hey yo yeah, <laughs> i got a bone Are to you pick guys... with you. oh it's a pun off <laughs> anyways um we should do that that should be a segment we should do like board game puns i'm um, terrible at puns you guys win every time yeah we need to prep we'll bring michael on anyways um some of his games are cool i'm not i don't know the art style is hit or miss for me i really the ancient world is beautiful but the art but style is more or less the same in all of the, the games. It's the same, but I don't know. Like in Eight Minute Empires, I think it just looks silly. I don't know. I don't get. I don't really get into that. But this one looks cool. I don't know. I think it just fits. I think it fits different themes better. Is what I'm trying to say. Okay, that the makes style. sense. That makes um, sense. So I think it fits more of a realistic theme, in my opinion. Kind of like the archaeology, the ancient world. Kind of has a little bit based in archaeology too. I guess maybe I don't know. Um, but yeah, anyways, no, this is cool. He makes good games, though. Uh, Empires of the Void is one I really want to play of his. So one worth checking out. And we have one more project today, and that is not about dinosaurs. Unless you're about floppy disks. name yeah. is Dinosaur. Oh, uh, yeah, if your, your hacker, your hacker handle, name. Your hacker handle is Dinosaur. With an O. With a zero. Zero, With a zero. and yeah. a three in there somewhere. You have to have an O and a three to be a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> o and three means hacker instantly. There's no E in dinosaur. No, but you just put you a have three to make one. Somewhere. You have to make, make it one, yeah, one of the it. S's becomes a three. Yeah, or just you put an E at the end of dinosaur, so you're not like so you're cool and you're kind of like. So what we've learned is that neither of you are hackers <laughs> because you know nothing about what's cool. We're also code. not spelling bee champs. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, so this is Firewall, and this is. From Sarcastic Robot, and this project will end on December 9th. So this is another one that you got to rush out and back if you're interested in. Um, it's not looking good for this project, which is unfortunate because this is one that we have. Um, it's only about a fifth of the way to funding, and this is a dice game. It's really quick. It's really simple. Um, it's basically dice plus area control. You and your friends in like five to fifteen minutes or so. You roll these dice, um, they've got different sides, some of them are control point values, and then some of them let you uh, do different abilities, and basically you're trying to put your dice into these nodes and control them. There's ways to lock out other players, other players have ways to then hack in and place their dice where you're trying to control to compete with you for that. Um, it's really quick, it's really simple, all you need to know is what the six sides of the dice do and you know how to play the game. Um, 
The dice look really nice. Um, they come in different colors for the different players. It's a really nice game. It's really compact. This is one that you could tote around with you. All you need is the dice. And yeah, there's not much to say about it other than the fact that it's a good little filler game. If you like, I love area control mechanics. Um, I love area control, and this is like a really quick way to get an area control fix if you don't want to play a bigger game. This is like 10 minutes, roll your dice, place your dice, game over. Yeah, the full game will cost you, will run you 25 bucks, but the whole game is 40 custom dice. The dice, once again, look nice, so even though it's a little bit on the high side for such a quick and easy game, it's because you're getting some really nice components with it. Um, it won't ship until March, though, which is no, a little... No, under- not March 2015, March 2016. Oh. Which I think is is part of the reason this project may not be fun. I don't know. I'm going out on a limb. It's a great game. Um, it was previously on Kickstarter. Um, and he came back, relaunched the campaign now with some improvements and some gameplay tweaks. And it's, but it's a really good game. You know, our review is on the, the website, nonsensicalgames.com. Um, <laughs> but part of the problem for me is the March 2016. I mean, I, I'm a little hesitant when I see a 2015 date just because I'm one of those want it now kind of people. But when I see a 2016, I mean, I want to be two years older. Like that's, <laughs> that's a long ways out. It's a long way out, and it might make me think twice, but I applaud him for putting a realistic date on it. And if he if he gets it done sooner, then it's a happy surprise for everyone, instead of the usual, like, it's three months after the date and you're ticked kind of a thing, which is what tends to happen. Part of the reason I'm a little bit confused, just a little history on this, is that when they did that um, custom dice, custom game labs dice Kickstarter back where you could get some custom dice made... He partnered with them to get custom firewall dice. So, and this has already been launched once. So it's the game is there. I'm just I'm just curious why it's going to take an, a year and a half to get this out. It just doesn't seem that involved from um, a component standpoint. It's just some dice, and they're really nice dice, and it's a really fun game. And I'm I'm kind of bummed that it's it's kind of struggling with its funding. And it's one of those ones I would kind of want soon. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just I'm glad he's being cautious. I guess is that's what. fair. I get I get it, but from a consumer standpoint, he's being realistic about what his backers are gonna get and when they're gonna get it. And if more uh, Kickstarter type board game publishers did that, there'd be less distrust. I don't know. I think there'd also be less funded projects, but we can talk about that differently. That day. might not be a bad thing. It's probably for a yeah. different conversation. But anyway, twenty five bucks, great game. Unfortunately, not one that you can print and play or anything like that, so you got to back if you want to get it. Um, and one that probably should, you know, this is a good filler game. Should be noted. It's a great filler game. Most I importantly, don't... if Tiff, maybe you shouldn't uh, upgrade your dinosaurs thing, because for 750 bucks you can go to California and have breakfast with the designer and play games with him and go to Hypno Comics. Good to know. <laughs> they will fly you out, make you breakfast, play games with you, give you comics, and you get to go to California. Well, California is seeming nice now that, now that it's winter in Ohio. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that's delivery for May 2015. Yeah. But see, it'll be so nice that here. That will come again. a year before the game. <laughs> if, if they could fly me out now, I might consider it. <laughs> nah, Jonathan's a good guy. I would have breakfast with him, just maybe somewhere else. <laughs> Hopefully he's listening. <laughs> okay. All right, yeah, you so want to let him you... know where you're going to have breakfast? <laughs> You pick a rush. Jonathan, if you're listening, let's do breakfast. Call me. Podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. <laughs>
really aggressive marketing today. <laughs> that was email me. I said call me. Do we really want to give your phone number out on the podcast? <laughs> yeah, please. Give me your phone number. <laughs> All right. That's Kickstarter. That's news. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to feel the holiday season. We're going to get a little festive. And we're going to give you guys our holiday buying guide for the December season 2014. All right, so now it's time to get into our final segment of the day. This is our holiday buying guide because it is the holiday season and people are buying games for other people like they should because that's awesome. It's the greatest gift you can give, right? We don't need friendship, love, (laughs) companionship. We're talking board games here. I like beer. Well, yeah, but you should give both. Giving board games is basically like giving friendship. Yeah, it's like, here, let's, let's play this together. Unless you're Dan, then you give games and say, here, play this with someone else. I do that sometimes. <laughs> I go for what people like. So what we're going to do is we have some we have some gaming categories picked out. Um, we are going to go round robin and give our recommendation for the games that should be bought within that category. These are we're trying to gear it towards 2014 releases, but sometimes you know the games that you really want to give. Just came out earlier, so you know there's classics out there that are worthy of being bought and, and given out as gifts. So we're gonna go through those now. And our first category that we're gonna start with is those filler games and your stocking stuffers. So what are those little games that you're gonna be giving out to your friends and family? Tiff? Yeah, I get to go first. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so my filler game is not a 2014 release. It came out in 2007 from Blue Orange Games, and that is Pengaloo. I recently discovered this, and all it is is it's a set of wooden penguins that have uh, little wooden eggs that go inside of them. You mix them all up, and then on your turn you roll two dice, and you're trying to get you're trying to find eggs that match the colors of the dice that you just rolled. So, and then you're trying to get six penguins on your iceberg. When you when you pick the right color, you get to put them on your iceberg. It takes about ten to fifteen minutes. It's really super cute. It's Basically, memory with just a little bit of interaction, easy setup, easy teach. It won't fit in a stocking, but I think it's a great filler. Cool. All right, so my filler game is Pears, and this is a 2014 release. Um, this came. This comes from Cheap Ass Games, and this is probably more of a stocking stuffer than a filler. Really, like this is um, a great little game where you've got a deck of cards um, numbered one through ten, and then there's and whatever the value of the card, there's that many of that card. So there's one one, there's two twos, there's three threes, and so on. And basically, there's no winners, there's one loser in this game. You deal cards out, and basically, like Blackjack, you can take a hit, or you can pass, and you're trying not to take pairs. It's super quick, it's super easy. I've played this game in between other games, like while people are setting up and things like that. Um, it's perfect for, for holiday times, for families, before dinner, or after dinner, while you're hanging out. Um, people who have played, people who haven't played games, it's a really nice low entry point, um, super cheap game that's easy to, to hand out to whoever, and there's a ton of different decks art-wise, so you can give someone something that they'll like. You can give Cthulhu or uh, Pirates or Fruit, if they like Fruit. Or Beer or, Maids. I don't get the Fruit. Why would anyone want a deck of Fruit? I don't know, it's called Pears. Yeah, I get that. I think that's where it came from. Yeah. Play on words. But either way, a good little stocking stuffer. I like it. That's Pears from Cheap Ass Games. Dan, your filler stocking stuffer. My filler is one that was re-released this year, but came out at some other point in time. Uh, And that is Sushi Go. This is one that 
our family has kind of embraced. They love the, uh, this one's from Game Rate, I believe is the new version. And they love the cute little artwork and the easy kind of drafting mechanisms that this game employs. Um, it's real, it's a real good time. And it's adorable. It's very adorable. It's so cute. Yeah. I feel cute when I play it. You feel cute. I feel cute. I feel hungry when I you play it. You feel pretty? Oh, so I feel pretty. <laughs> oh, so pretty. All right, before Dan starts singing again, um, let's talk gateway. So we'll move kind of up the difficulty ladder. And Tiff, go to gateway games that you're buying this season. Um, My gateway game is Camel Up. Um, it was the Spiel des Jahres winner, so it's kind of in that gateway weight. The goal of it is just you're betting on camels, whichever one's going to come close, and you're going to get as much money as you possibly can. Uh, it takes about 30 minutes. It has kind of a familiar roll and move mechanism, but you get to use a sweet pyramid to do that and a pretty huge player count, two to eight players. And I just every time I've played this, I don't think I've ever played one single game of it. <laughs> where where someone hasn't been like, can we just play it again? So I think that's what makes it the perfect gateway game, just that people tend to want to. It's exciting, and people want to play it over and over. Yeah, I'm with that. We've been having a good time with Camel Up. Love camels. But well, what about Camel Up? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the game. I love the camels in the game. Okay. Fair enough. I love the game. It's a great game. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, what's yours? Um, so my gateway game is Diamonds from Stronghold Games. Diamonds is a trick-taking game. I think we've talked about it on the show before. Um, basically, it's trick-taking with variable player powers. Um, so it's it's like a mini step up from hearts and spades if you have family and friends who play those games. It's super easy to play. Um, you got a hand of cards, you play them. Whoever plays the highest takes the trick and gets to do something special. And it's got really nice, chunky plastic diamonds. Um, and it plays up to six people, which is excellent. So in terms of gateway games that came out this year, I think that it's a really easy um, sell to anyone, gamer or non-gamer. It's a lot of fun, plays quick, and that is Diamonds. Should my trick-taking mentor teach me that game? Uh, I think I'm going to end or up being too a trick-taking mentor. Okay. Um, I think we're going to start you off with something like Hearts, though. But I already know how to play Hearts. I did it on the computer. Oh, well, then, yeah, I think you're ready for diamonds, because the only difference is that each suit does something special. So Sweet. I think you're ready. Yes. Did you have fun with diamonds, or hearts? Yeah, it was okay. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't, wasn't like, you know, sticking my hand on the stovetop or anything like that. It was better than that. Oh, so better than you were expecting. I'm glad you had such high expectations. (laughs) I'm really good at trick-taking games. Well then, <laughs> and I'm really bad at them. A natural transition, Dan. I'm sorry yeah. we didn't attend to you for for so long. Um, no, please okay. tell us your gateway game. No, my gateway game is one that I don't ever want to play, but other people will really like it. And I think it's, I think it's. Let me caveat this thing. I think it's great mechanically. I think it's a solid intro into set collection. And this is Splendor. This came out this year. It was a Spiel des Jahres nominee. Didn't win. Lost to Camel Up, as I think it should have, because this game is it's like i said it's great mechanically i think it's a really great introduction to a couple of different mechanisms it's good it it wears out its welcome for me but i think it's a great way to bring new gamers in so i would recommend it for other people it was a great pitch dan you just (laughs) splendor is a lot of fun it is a good gateway game it's a little thinky but it's easy to grab a hold of and even though Dan doesn't like it, I think that Tiff and I can can easily recommend it with a little bit more enthusiasm. I don't play a lot of gateways. That might be part yeah. of the problem. So, 
Yeah, that's part of it. I play a lot of them, and I think this is one I'm definitely going to be bringing to my middle school board game club. So I like it. It's pretty. It has sweet, chunky chips for your resources. Yeah, yeah. Production quality is awesome. It's it's great. That That's another good thing for gateway games, I think, as well, is the production quality. I think that really brings in people that you're trying to introduce the games and just lets them know that it's not like little metal thimbles like all the time kind of thing. It's cool that they can see these nice produced games. Cool. All right, so moving right along, we talk about fillers, we talk about gateways. Now let's talk about Euro, Euro-ish games. It's not a hard and fast line between what is a Euro game, but games with those Euro elements. So Tiff, what are you thinking for Euros? Well, this one was so easy for me. I am choosing La Isla. Nice. Um, so the theme is just your surrounding animals and capturing rare animals. It's a light feld, so if you're looking for that Stefan Feld feeling game where you have to make tough choices and there's a few things that you have to think about, um, it's the perfect thing. It's simple phases. It's it's the easy to teach feld, I think, which is the most important thing. This is a gateway feld. It's not a gateway game, but it's like a good introductory feld, and that's, that's why fair. I love it. I, I've played this game a ton, and Camel Up was my most played game of the year. Now it's La Isla because I've played it that much. Right. Well, this is uh, this is like Splendor is to Dan. I would give it to someone else, but I'm not buying it by myself. No, um, no, you need a, to play it again. Yeah, I do. I do. It's a good pick, though. I can see why you would choose it, and definitely one of the good, the the hot euros of of 2014. So a good one to pick up for friends. So my euro, I'm taking the euro ish route. Um, I'm I'm skirting the line a little bit. I'm going with Hyperborea. Some people may contend with this, but I do think that the cube play and all like the this is like a sieve builder wrapped in a euro. So you're basically saying if it has cubes, it's a euro. So I'm going to go with that. No. That's kind of what it sounds like. There's no like direct, direct conflict. The attacking is like, I think it's got a lot of euro mechanics and it's got like some really nice sieve and like a Meritrashy kind of concepts wrapped in a euro wrapping. Like it, it really is a nice blend, but I it's think it's a it hybrid. Leads. It's a hybrid, but I, I, I don't play too many straight euros and I don't want to be giving out people i don't want to be giving too many euros to people and spreading that plague explain so, expand your horizons buddy eh, eh. this is a nice hybrid and it it'll give a good euro feel maybe dan can agree with me um to help me back me up it gives a little bit of a euro feel it's not totally dice rolling and trashy but uh it's still got some nice theme to it so that's what i i would go with hyperborea uh, my Euro is my favorite game of 2014, and that is Rococo. I am an mm. expert dressmaker, and proud to say it. I love this game. It's um, it was nominated for uh, Kenner Spiel des Jahres. It didn't win. It lost to Istanbul, which you can question, but it's really cool. It's um, very simple mechanics, uh, very easy to pick up on, but uh, it has some great depth. And the the ability to manipulate, it's got some deck building, it's got some you know resource management, it's got a whole bunch of little things mishmashed into a really uh, really elegant product with a with a quirky theme that really works, and that's what I like about it. It's it's different in in the theming. I think that's a great Euro pick. I haven't played it yet. Yeah. Oh well, you're missing out. Maybe somebody listening to this should pick you up a copy of. Should we just put my address at the end of the podcast? We probably should. That's the bad plan. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not do that. So let's chat the other side of the spectrum. Thematic. I don't know if I like Ameritrash, but I use the word because that's what everyone knows. So more thematic, um, less Euro-inspired games. So what are you thinking for that, Tiff? 
Uh, the one I picked is Quantum. This one came out in 2013, and I don't think it gets enough love. It's You're using your ships, which happen to be sweet, translucent dice, to conquer a sector of space. You're putting your quantum cubes on these different planets, and it kind of just gives that sort of 4X-ish feel in about an hour or so and that's what I like about it you just you have a certain amount of actions that you use it has it's very tactical you have some conflict you you can attack the other players there's combos there's special abilities there's dice rolling it kind of has it all for that thematic feel so I completely agree quantum is an awesome game and one that doesn't hit our tabletop enough but it's really great um, so my thematic game is one of the new hotnesses of 2014 and all the conventions. Dead of Winter, and we've talked about Dead of Winter before, but I think from a thematic standpoint, this is an awesome game, Um, really gives you that feel and puts some of those tough decisions in play that you would feel if you were part of a a colony during a zombie apocalypse. Um, It's got really nice production value, even though it has those cardboard standees, they're done really nicely, everything's put together well, it's plaid hat, it's just an awesome social game, awesome kind of deduction game with the whole traitor element. Definitely a big one. If you've got someone in your life that likes these kinds of games, Dead of Winter is a go-to because it's it's hot right now. It's all right. Um, <laughs> my thematic game is one that we reviewed in episode six, maybe seven, around Halloween, which is Run, Fight, or Die from Richard Lonius and Gray Fox Games. Uh, this game is cool. I will say right off the bat, I hate zombies. I think they're dumb. And I really and don't icky. like... Zombies are, in fact, dumb. They're dumb, and they're icky, and they're silly. <laughs> and I don't really get down with that theme. But this game won me over at Gen Con. Um, it's so thematic. Everything from the the faces of the die you're rolling and the oncoming kind of physical, uh, the miniatures coming onto your player board at you. It's It's really cool. It gives that tension and just a few components when well, no, i say a few outside it's of like the, a million outside miniatures? Of the horde of zombies you get the tension and just some dice rolling and some cards and it's it's really cool i like that game a lot excellent choice all right so our next up is party games so tiff party games for your holiday buying guide what do you got i don't have i don't play party games yeah we don't either <laughs> but uh, dan the one dan's going to talk about i have played you should ask Dan that question. You okay. play party games. You play like One Night Werewolf and that kind of stuff. <sighs> All right. Okay, fine. My party game is One Night Werewolf. One Night Ultimate Werewolf. You should go buy that. It's a good one. We've talked <laughs> no. about it way too many times, and we, we like it. Dan does not. You're welcome, Tiff. I don't mind it. Thanks, Dan. I'm glad you figured that out for me. Uh, <laughs> no, I I do like a couple of them, but I see, I don't know if I consider that necessarily. It's a social game, so I guess it is a party game. When I think of party games, I think of like... I don't know, categories and stuff. I don't know. All right, so Tiff recommends categories. You Everybody get, go you out. You need to get your mind right, girl. I'm sorry. No, I'm kidding. Didn't mean to <laughs> stop, let... stop being like a zombie. Didn't... Sorry, not girl. Lady. Dame. Man. Uh, I don't think dame's all... any better. <laughs> that is right, my I... preferred nomenclature. I prefer to be called a dame. Oh, wow. There you go. Lady Tiff. Um, so my party game is actually a game that i haven't played but that i've heard a lot of good things about um i think that this is one that people who like party games may be interested in this is snake oil um i've heard some good things this is basically you get different words on cards and you have to pitch a certain object in a certain way to a certain person um i've heard it's pretty fun 
it's got some, you know, a different take on um, kind of the charades element and things like that. Um, it's very party. It's very light. Um, we don't play a lot of those games, so this isn't one that I would get for myself or anyone in my immediate group. But if you have a party gamer in your life, I've heard some good things about Snake Oil. I think that's a great game if your friends are into improv. Okay. Yeah, that's what it seems like anyway. Yeah, it's a lot of that off the top of your head. Got to kind of think on your feet about what, you're, what item you're pitching and who you're trying to sell it to kind of thing. Dan, My your turn. party game. My party game is questionable whether it's a game or not in some people's minds but that's concept that release this year um this is a game about there's the board is comprised of multiple symbols and icons and colors and icons and all kinds of kind of abstracted uh things and it's your job to communicate using these different symbols um the item on your card to the rest of the team. You can keep score. You don't have to keep score. You can just play it for fun as a mental exercise. It's up to you. But it's a lot of fun. It's one of those games that I've actually played twice in the last two weeks. And everyone I've introduced it to has really liked it. And it's just it's just a simple good time. I really It, it works your brain. It's, it's cool like that. Yeah. It's it, puzzly. It's very unique. Um, and definitely one that can help you flex your brain. And if it gives you that charades feel, but definitely a whole new twist. So it's not, it's not that simple, and it's not that like worn out. Like if you say, "Hey, you want to play charades?" People are like, "No," but you can get concept to the table and have that same kind of social party game experience. Um, and it's a lot of fun. It's hard too. It can be hard if you are at the table with a bunch of people that know you, though. It's not as hard. True. Yeah. Well, that. But some of the actual items, like on the cards are like sentences and that to communicate a sentence using just like some uh cubes and some symbols is really tough at times yeah but definitely a good pick for party gamers um and we have so we have one more category in our holiday buying guide and that is our wild card category and basically this is any other game that you wanted to throw out there that's not of a specific type whatever you're interested in like hey i really want to get this or you should go buy this um so tiff what do you have for a wild card game I put Spirium. Oh, interesting. I feel like that's, that's just, wild card. Yeah, I know. I feel like it's just another one of those lost games of 2013 that no one really talked about too much. It's by William Atia, who did um, Kalis. So it has the kind Godfather of, of worker placement. Right? And it has... So, so the theme is a little pasted on, but it's kind of like, you know, steampunk-ish, I guess. But I really like how um, you... It has sort of the spikerstadt like bidding you you place your workers around these different cards and and they give you if you take that card they give you more money depending on how many um workers are around it or they up the cost of the card if you're buying the card and i just really like the decision making around that and you're just trying to like build buildings and and get a bunch of money to have the most victory points so it's kind of dry in that sense but it's a lot of euro in a very tiny box and small footprint so if you need something thinky that's kind of in a small box i recommend it nice how about you so my wild card game, I took wild card as kind of like a catch-all, basically, so I could throw an extra game on my list. Um, and I, probably not surprisingly, I put Abyss on there. I think that people should be giving out Abyss this holiday season because I think it's an awesome game. Um, it's not completely Euro. It's not completely like Ameritrash thematic. It's another one of those hybrid-y kind of games because it's got set collections, got a little bit of take that. Um, it's got such beautiful artwork. 
a great solid little game. Another one that I highly recommend. Simply put, I don't want to go too much into it. So good choice. Yeah, I like Abyss. And your wild card, Dan? Do you have one for us? My wild card was originally Quantum, which Tiffany stole my thunder. But I will agree, it's a no. Great you were going to try to steal my thunder. That's what that no, was. No. Thematic no. was higher on the list. Nope. You thunder lose. Good day, sir. Do. Thunder stealing is what you do. It's fine. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I went ahead and picked Russian Railroads, which is a great little worker placement game. Um, little. Great big worker placement <laughs> game um, where you can score upwards of 400 points. And no, it's it's a great game. It's um, it's a train-based game. You're trying to build these railroads, but it's very abstracted, and you're just collecting points left and right um, using again worker placement mechanisms. The thing, other things, it's just I don't know how to describe it. It's just it's such a, a whole brain burn. It's amazing. Big combination of all kinds of mechanics, and it is an excellent, excellent Euro game. Like that's it's one of my go-to's. I think it's fantastic. And I'm not even a big Euro player. Like, I, I would play Russian Railroads any day. You could have put this as your Euro. I could have, but... This is firmly Euro. It is firmly Euro, but I do think that Hyperborea's got some hotness to it. It's really fun. I think it's unique. And I, it's I okay. would play Hyperborea before Russian Railroads. It is my better recommendation. I like it more. Agree or disagree. I love Russian Railroads. I'm allowed to like two things. That's fine. So, yeah, that's what I would pick. Cool. Yeah, so hopefully that gave you some insight into, you know, what works for different types of gamers in different categories. Maybe you had some ideas that you didn't hear about before or didn't know about, or maybe you were thinking about getting something and we can help you solidify that idea. Um, but either way, hopefully this holiday season you're out there buying board games for friends and family because that's what we need, more games. But yeah, so that is the end of our holiday buying guide, and that is also the end of episode 11 of the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. So... You know where to find us on Facebook and Twitter via the League of Nonsensical Gamers, our email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com, and our BGG Guild number 2077. Come start up a conversation, talk about what you want to give people during the holiday season, um, or let us know anything else you want to know about the show. I think that's everything. Can we say goodbye now? Goodbye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.